Chapter Twenty Seven of Agnes Sorrel by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven. Do you recollect visiting the booth of a cutler? In that very booth, the day after the arrest of Jean Charost, might be seen the intelligent countenance of the deformed boy, Petit Jean, peering over the large board on which the wares were exposed, and saluting the passers-by with an arch smile, to which was generally added an invitation to buy some of the articles of his father's manufacture. The race gamma is of very ancient date in the city of Paris, where witty and mischievous imps were found to have existed in great abundance, as far as recorded history can carry us. It must be owned, too, that a touch of the gamma was to be found in poor Petit Jean, although his corporeal infirmities prevented him from displaying his genius in many of the active quips and cranks in which other boys of his own age indulged. On the present occasion, when he was eager to sell the goods committed to his charge, he refrained, as far as possible, from any of his sharp jests, so long as there was any chance of gaining the good will of a passing customer, and the gamin's spirit fumed off in a metaphor. But a surly reply, or cold inattention, generally drew from him some tingling jest, which might have procured him a drubbing, had not his infirmities proved a safeguard. "'What do you lack, Monsieur Behu?' he cried, as a good fat courier rolled past the booth. "'Sure, with some customers you have, your knives must be all worn out. Here, buy one of these. They are so sharp. It would save you a crown a day in time.' and your customers would not have to wait like a crowd at a morality. The good-natured courier paused and bargained for a knife, for flattery will sometimes soften even well-tanned hides, and Petit Jean, contented with his success, assailed a thin, pale, sanctimonious-looking man who came after, in much the same manner. But this personage scowled at him, saying, No, no, boy, no more knives from your stall. The last I bought bent double before two days were over. "'That's the fault of your cheese, Peter Gwim,' answered the boy sharply. "'It served Don Joaquin, the canon of Saint-Laurent, worse than it served our knife, "'for it broke all his teeth out of his head. Ask him if it didn't.' "'You lie, you little monster,' said the cheesemonger irritably. "'It was as bad iron as ever was sharpened.' "'Not so hard as your heart, perhaps,' answered Petit Jean. "'But it was a great deal sharper than your wit.' and if your cheese had not been like a millstone, it would have gone through it. The monger of cheeses walked on the faster for two or three women having come up, all of whom but one, an especial friend of his own, were laughing at the saucy boy's repartee. "'Ah, dear dame Naturine,' cried Petit Jean, addressing the grave lady, "'buy a new bodkin for your cloak. It wants one sadly, just to pin it up with a jaunty air.' "'Don't matter in me, monkey,' cried the old woman, walking on after the cheesemonger. And the boy, winking his eye to the other women, exclaimed aloud, "'Well, you are wise. A new bodkin would only tear a hole in the old rag. She wore that cloak at her great-grandmother's funeral when she was ten years old, and that is sixty years ago, so it may well fear the touch of younger metal.' "'Well, you rogue, what have you to say to me?' said a young and pretty woman who had listened much amused. "'Only that I have nothing good enough for your beautiful eyes,' answered the boy promptly, "'though you have but to look at the things to make them shine as if the sun were beaming on them.' This hit told well, 
and the pretty bourgeoise very speedily purchased two or three articles from the store she had just paid her money when martin grille with a scared and haggard air entered the booth and asked the boy where his father was without any previous salutation why what is the matter with you martin asked petit jean affectionately you come in like a stranger and don't say a word to me about myself or yourself and look as wild as the devil in a mystery what is it you want with my father in such a hurry i am vexed and frightened petit jean replied poor martin with a sigh i am quite at my wit's end who never was at my wit's end before your father may help me but you can't help me at all my boy oh you don't know that answered the other i can help more than people know why i have sold more things for my father in three hours since he went up to the celestin to see the body of the duke of orleans than he ever sold in three days before ah the poor duke the poor duke cried martin with a deep sigh well well come sit down said petit jean my father will be in presently and in the meanwhile i'll play you a tune with my new violin and you will see how i can play now martin grille seated himself with an absent look leaned his forehead upon his hands and seemed totally to forget everything around him in the unwonted intensity of his own thoughts but the boy creeping under the board on which the wares were displayed brought forth an instrument of no very prepossessing appearance tried its tune with his thumb as if playing on a guitar and then seating himself at martin grille's knee put the instrument to his deformed shoulder there be some to whom music comes as by inspiration all other arts are more or less acquired but those in whom a fine sensibility to harmony is implanted by nature not unfrequently leap over even mechanical difficulties and achieve at once because they have conceived already music must have started from the heart of apollo as wisdom from the head of jove without a childhood little had been the instruction few scanty and from an incompetent teacher the lessons which that poor deformed boy had received but now when the bow in his hand touched the strings it drew from them sounds such as a de berio or a road might have envied him the power of educing and fixing his large lustrous eyes upon his cousin's face he seemed to speak in music from his own spirit to the spirit of his hearer whether he had any design and if so what that design was i cannot tell perhaps he did not know himself but certain it is that the wandering wavering composition that he framed on the moment seemed to bear a strange reference to martin's feelings first came a harsh crash of the bow across all the strings a broad bold discord then a deep and gloomy phrase entirely along the lower notes of the instrument simple and melodious but without any attempt at harmony then enriching itself as it went on the air deviated into the minor with sounds exquisitely plaintive till martin grille almost fancied he could hear the voices of mourners and exclaimed don't jean don't i cannot bear it but still the boy went on as if triumphing in the mastery of music over the mind and gradually his instrument gave forth more cheerful sounds not light not exactly gay for every now and then a flattened third brought back a touch of melancholy to the air but still one could have fancied the ear caught the distant notes of angels singing hope and peace to man the effect on martin grille was strange it cheered him 
but he wept, and the boy, looking earnestly in his face, said, with a strange confidence, "'Do not tell me I have no power, Martin. Mean, deformed, and miserable as I am, I have found out that I can rule spirits better than kings, and have a happiness within me over which they have no sway. You are not the first I have made weep, so now tell me what it is you want with my father. Perhaps I may help you better than he can.' "'It was not you made me weep, you foolish boy,' said Martin Grille, "'but it was the thought of the bloody death of, of the poor Duke of Orléans, "'so good a master, and so kind a man. "'And then I began to think how his terrible fate "'might have expiated, through the goodness of the Blessed Virgin, "'all his little sins, and how the saints and the angels would welcome him. "'I almost thought I could hear them singing, "'and it was that made me cry.' But as to what I want with your father, it was in regard to my poor master, Monsieur de Bracy, a kind, good young man, and a gallant one, too. They have arrested him and thrown him into prison, a set of fools, accusing him of having compassed the prince's death, when he would have laid down his life for him at any time. But all the people at the hotel are against him, for he is too good for them a great deal, and I want somebody powerful to speak in his behalf otherwise they may put him to the torture and cripple him for life just to make him confess a lie as they did with paul laroche who never could walk without two sticks after now i know your father is one of the duke of burgundy's men and that duke will rule the roost now i suppose a strong spirit seeks strong spirits said the boy thoughtfully and perhaps my father might do something with the duke but martin he continued after a short and silent pause do not you have anything to do with the duke of burgundy he will not help you i do not know what it is puts such thoughts in my head but the king's brother had an enemy the king's brother is basely murdered his enemy still lives heartily and it is not him i would ask to help a man falsely accused stay a little they took me three days ago to play before the king of navarre and I am to go to-day with my instrument to play before the Queen of Sicily. I think I can help you, Martin, if she will but hear me. This murder, perhaps, may put it all out, for she was fond of the Duke, they tell me. But I will send her word through some of her people when I go, that I have got a dirge to play for His Highness that is dead. She will hear that, perhaps. Only tell me all about it. Martin Griel's story was somewhat long, but as the reader already knows much that he told in a desultory sort of way to his young cousin, and the rest is not of much importance to this tale, we will pass over his account, which lasted some twenty minutes, and had not been finished five when Caboche himself entered the booth in holiday attire. His first words showed Martin Grille the good sense of Petit Jean's advice, not to speak to his father in favour of Jean Charost. Aho, Martin, cried Caboche, in a gruff and almost savage tone. So your gay duke has got his brains knocked out at last for his fine doings. For which of his doings has he been so shamefully murdered? asked Martin Grille, with as much anger in his tone as he dared to evince. What, don't you know? exclaimed Caboche. Why, it is in everybody's mouth that he has been killed by Albert de Chauny, whose wife he carried off and made a harlot of. I say, well done, Albert de Chauny, and I would have done the same if I had been in his place. Then Monsieur de Bracy is proved innocent, said Martin Grille eagerly. 
I know nothing about that, answered Caboche. He may have been an accomplice, you know, but that's no business of mine. I went up to see the Duke lie at the Celestin. There was a mighty crowd there of men and women, but they all made way for Caboche. He makes a handsome corpse, though his head is so knocked about. But he'll not take any more men's wives away, and now we shall have quiet days, I suppose, though I don't see what good quiet does. For whether the town is peaceful or not, men don't buy or sell nowadays half as much as they used to do. There was a certain degree of vanity in his tone, as he uttered the words, All made way for Caboche, which was very significant, and his description of the appearance of the Duke of Orléans made Martin Grille shudder. He remained not long with his rough uncle, however, but after having asked and answered some questions, he took advantage of a moment when Caboche himself was busy in rearranging his cutlery and counting his money, to whisper a few words to Petit Jean regarding a meeting in the evening, and then parted from him, saying simply, Remember. End of chapter 27